Welcome to the lucky 13th episode of the Film Illiterates podcast. Your Woo! home. For... Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do it. I just wanted to hear Alex just crack up again. Your, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised, interrupted movie talk. I'm your host, Joe Campbell, and joining me today are Nate Stone. What's up? And Alex Putin. <laughs> so he related to the great Vladimir Putin. The great Vladimir Putin. Uh, it's Alex Patton, uh, yeah. just for the for the record here. A lot of people think my name is Russian, though. So Do they really? Maybe. Is it? Yeah. Uh, is it's, it? it's German. I, well, I don't know. You don't know. I, I you don't know what your heritage is. Well, I'm it's... mostly German, but I think it's East German. So you know, maybe we don't know what yeah. Alex is. <laughs> no, we don't. whatever he is, he's yeah. an Alex. Go ahead and actually submit your maybe ideas of where you think Alex is from, and we'll we'll pick one of them. What kind of white nationality do you think Alex is? Scandinavian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today, I picked the topic that we're going to be talking about uh, based solely on a very selfish desire to talk about terrible movies. Well, at least you're honest, you know, I am. I'm, I'm very, I like, I like my shit. Hey, you know what? That's always great. When you know what you like, just go with it. Right. Don't try to be Are more mainstream directors of big budget movies leaning into pulpy B movie sensibilities than ever before. I don't know, but that's what we're here to talk about today because I want to. That's a good intro. But as always, before we get into that, uh, we'll kick things off by yakking your ear off about what we've watched recently. So, Nathan, why don't you start us off today? Sure. Um, so, basically, I didn't watch too much except for this one little film. Joe, I think you and I kind of watched this a long time ago when you guys were getting film illiterate started. Uh, Noah, the Darren Aronofsky sci-fi adaptation of the great biblical classic yes um, i remember when that came out i haven't seen it since it came out but i did see it back then i was just really fascinated at the time when that movie came out how much controversy that was surrounding it i think people kind of misread it because it's actually not based off of the original biblical story it's actually based off of a french graphic novel that is based on the original biblical story so a lot of people give Darren Aronofsky a lot of flack for taking so much creative liberties in the way he did this movie. But I don't know. There's there's stuff about it I liked when I first saw it. And so I decided to revisit it and just see if it still held up. It still does. The stuff that I liked about it, how he's you know, explores a lot of Noah's humanity, a lot of just this kind of interesting world he creates that obviously probably did not happen. I mean... You have men who are firing guns. But I, I don't know. I, I guess when I was watching it again, I was like, it's it's still kind of it's sloppy at parts. As interesting as it is, it's kind of sloppy. But I guess the one thing I loved about it is the way it's done. Like, There's some storytelling elements that remind me a lot of like 80s sci-fi epics that were coming out back in the day. Like, There's a lot of like Conan the Barbarian kind of to it, as well as like uh, there's like the Fallen Ones in it who... You know, don't we won't have to get into the theological discussion about that, but just the whole design of those characters about the rocks and the formations and just how they're moving. It just reminded me very much of like Jim Henson um, puppetry. And I don't know. I, 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 those are stuff I loved about it. It just had that kind of charm to it. But at the same time, there's some great, you know, dramatic moments, some great 
human moments that if anyone had done like a straight biblical adaptation of the story, it just wouldn't have hold. So I don't know. There's some parts of it that I liked, but it's like when I look back on it, it's it's kind of it's an interesting movie. Was it really all that controversial outside of Christian circles? Because for me, at least, a lot of the people that I know kind of travel within these very Christian film criticism kind of areas. And I remember people talking about it, looking at it from a theological standpoint being controversial. But outside mm-hmm. of that, was it considered controversial from a, a mainstream perspective? I think so, just because, I don't know, it's, it's, it's very interesting how biblical stories are, you know, treated nowadays in Hollywood. Any kind of mention now where if it's a biblical story or like a loose adaptation, it, it tends to be scrutinized quite a bit. So it's kind of like, Joe, we kind of experienced this when uh, we saw the movie Silence. Like it wasn't like a, a blown out, like, you know, religious movie. And yet Hollywood still gave it a lot of, you know, rap for, you know, being a, a religious movie. So it's it's interesting. Um, at least that's when I remember when I saw Noah. It's like it still kind of got that, you know. I, 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 I definitely need to need to rewatch Noah, but uh, I remember loving it when I, I first saw it. I think the one thing I love about it is, you know, Anthony Hopkins, he plays a, a role in this movie. And for some reason, I think he kind of just got it that his part was supposed to be kind of like the wise old man. And so he just he plays that up very well. Whereas everyone else, I think, gets too much into the drama of the movie. Anthony Hopkins, I thought, was just very delightful to watch. So oh, that's right. I forgot he was in it. Yeah, but not to say that this is a feel-good movie. It's dark. It gets really twisted. And I remember Noah's take on all humanity must die, and it's like, okay, I don't think that was what he thought or he interpreted God wanted, but it was an interesting take. By the way, if anyone's not seen this movie, you can watch it to watch Russell Crowe go crazy and try and hunt down Emma Watson and try to kill her children. (laughs) You know, for kids. (laughs) Exactly. Aside from that, the other thing I've actually started watching uh, recently was the new show that came out on DC TV called Doom Patrol. So I've been very hesitant about approaching this one just because I've heard mixed things about the new DC TV universe that they're trying to go for. Titans hasn't been as successful or well-received as a lot of people were hoping. But I saw Doom Patrol. I saw how it's been handled, and I love it. The best way I could describe it is, let's say you had um, Xavier school of gifted mutants but they were filled with a bunch of screw-ups like they have no talent no coordination and they just mess up everything ever as they go but what i love about it is just it it really harkens to just what i love about guardians of the galaxy and just james gunn's writing and just this kind of campy 80s humor where you know that this is very retro and it goes for that kind of audience and it's having fun and it's very self-aware of it. Like um, the narrator who ends up playing like one of the villains in it, he's very aware that you are a comic book nerd and a fan watching this. And he's just pointing out all the cliches in the narration. And that's how it opens up with the pilot. But other than that, it's like, it's a good cast of characters. I think everyone fits their part very well. Brendan Fraser's in it and he plays a giant robot man. And the other cast members that are in there, there's Negative Man, who looks like a mummy with a a coat and sunglasses. You have uh, Crazy Jane, who's this girl with like 23 different multiple personalities. And depending on what mood she's in, she can be really bitchy or really sentimental. And they're all headed by this guy who's in a wheelchair, played by Timothy Halton. 
I'm just loving this every step of the way because not only are they just having fun with it and they're fully aware of what they're doing, but they kind of do the same thing that Guardians of the Galaxy did really well, which is created endearing characters with good backstories, and they actually do a really good job with addressing all their backstories in just the pilot episode. And there's still more characters who are going to join on board. Um, but so far, I just watched the pilot. That's all I had time for this week. But I'm actually hooked already. So I think uh, DC has hooked me in for you know streaming services because I want to see the screaming cockroach. You, you know, oddly enough, that your description of the, of those three characters mm-hmm. sounds a lot like um, Unbreakable Split and Glass. You got the yeah. big hulking strong guy. <laughs> That's guy true. Multiple personalities all controlled by the dude in the wheelchair. That is true. <laughs> in a way, it kind of is. Um, but I highly recommend this show because actually this show is doing a lot, surprisingly writing-wise, a lot better than how Titans is being um, approached. So if anyone has been questioning on whether to jump on board with this, I, I highly recommend get the subscription just for this show because it's worth it. Man, that does sound like something that would be up my avenue, but I, I don't know if I want to pay for another, especially DC streaming service, because there's just not enough to hook me in. I mean, for the, for the show, yes, but for DC streaming service in general, mm-hmm. I don't know, because I'm subscribed to CBS All Access right now for Star Trek Discovery and mm-hmm. the upcoming Twilight Zone reboot. I just renewed my HBO subscription for some of the movies they have on there, like Isle of Dogs. And I'm just like adding on adding that onto Netflix and what I rent movies online anyway. But the show does sound fun. It is a lot of fun. I, I really highly recommend it. And you know, you could always just do the free trial and then just uh, unsubscribe. Yeah, that's right. Just, just, just wait until the show is uh, done with its first season. So then I can watch the whole thing in one week. Exactly. There you go. You just binge it. Uh, is, is that all you got for us today? That is it. So Alex, what you got? All right. Um, I've mostly just been keep trying to keep up with uh, everything going on. The Overwatch League, it's the uh, Tier 1 uh, professional Overwatch tournaments, I think. Checking out who's uh, going to make playoffs this stage, who is going to be 0-7, or who is 0-7. This stage has been really weird in that there's a, a lot of upsets. For instance, the last year's reigning champs, the London Spitfire, played off against the Shanghai Dragons. And the, Shang- and the last season, uh, last year, the Shanghai Dragons set a world record for the longest losing streak of any professional sports team. They went 0-40. They finally got their first win this season, and then they faced off against the, against the London Spitfire, like I said, who were the uh, champions last year, and they beat them in like a tiebreaker match or map. It's insane that they that they, <laughs> that they were able to do that. I mean, they have a new roster and everything like that, but like no one really saw that coming. Like a lot of people were sure, you know, hell hoped for it because it'd be insane to see the worst team of last season beat the best team of last season, and it actually happened. So is uh it was interesting, but um yeah, just watching, keeping up who's cause, because there's a bunch of new expansion teams that have been brought in for this uh, current season. There's just so many more players to kind of keep up on, uh, so many different teams to see who are looking, uh, you know, strong coming out of the gates so far. Uh, the New York Excelsior is still the number one spot as kind of they were most of the uh, last season. Um, a couple of new guys that are coming up are like Atlanta Rain who are doing really well. But it's just kind of seeing which teams are trying to circumvent the meta or just play something different and hope it works out like the uh, Chengdu Hunters and just seeing how they 
kind of work around teams that are more well known for playing like a three three uh, team composition. So it's just been fun kind of catching up on that, and it's great too that uh, like Overwatch League, you can watch all the the games on the on Twitch. You can watch them on their website for most of the time if you don't catch them live, which is works out for nice for me because I work uh, night shifts on the weekend, so I'm asleep when they live uh, when they're airing their games. I think it's kind of interesting, Alex. I'm just going to chime in. Uh, it, it kind of sounds very similar to a lot of what's happening right now with a lot of leagues like March Madness. And I kind of feel like it's something I think a lot of gaming universes and even online streaming services are doing nowadays. So you kind of were talking about how no one was expecting Shanghai Dragons to beat London's team. And, you know, one thing I've kind of realized is a lot of it just sometimes comes down to either probability or just the skill the players have. Mm-hmm. And it, I think that's sometimes what makes an interesting season is when... Oh, yeah. You know, you just have those surprises because if it was predictable, like, oh, London wins all the time, it, it just be kind of redundant. But I don't know. I, I like I look forward to just seeing surprises and underdogs that come up. So based on this year, like from what you've been seeing, would you say is the, the team that is doing the best? Um, currently, by standings, uh, New York Excelsior is doing the best. OK, um, they were like I said, like I mentioned, they were like one of the best teams last year mm-hmm. and still one of the best teams. I think it's New York and I think the Vancouver Titans. Ooh, I like that. Um, Vancouver Titans. Yeah, they're they're a new team that just uh signed for this for this season. They took the former Korean contenders team runaway. Mm-hmm. Um I think added a couple players. And so they're very strong. I think I think they're undefeated unless they've gone against the New York and lost, but Well, my money's on them anyway. So you can put my bet down for them to win. They'll go all the way for Vancouver. Yeah, I. Well, why not? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, like I said, they're doing really well, and they have a really good main tank player. So they're really like main competition is just going to be is just New York right now. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, it's it's always fun with the unpredictability. Mm-hmm. Um, London themselves have been were very unpredictable, mm-hmm. and just how how well they were going to do um, last season. Well, everyone expected New York Excelsior to to, to go to the grand finals, but they didn't even make it out of the last stage playoffs mm-hmm. or the they didn't even make it into the finals at all mm-hmm. i think semis as far as they got so it's been fun plus just seeing like i said mm-hmm. seeing which uh expansion team you know got the most potential and it's only the first stage too so we got a oh lot yeah of ways to go so it's still early enough that if anyone's listening and they have their bracket already they can change it now maybe put your bets on the vancouver titans you never know oh yeah yeah I'd, i mean yeah you're you're not gonna go wrong placing mm-hmm. bets on vancouver cool so yeah it's fun too i actually gotta start it i gotta start a league or yeah. a fantasy league with one oh, of my oh you should yeah might as well like everybody's doing it yeah i actually i completely forgot that marshman was, was the thing oh well, i do right too now. yeah <laughs> yeah i um yeah cool you have anything else alex <laughs> joe has nothing to say about that no no i i, I have absolutely nothing about video games uh i can't say that i've been following the, the video games <laughs> joe you should watch you should watch overwatch league it's on espn3 and like disney xd oh that's true if you yeah. don't watch it on disney xd i don't know who, who watches that anymore but go for whoa, it whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. Is on disney xd thank you very much that okay, is true all right you can that is true you can watch it after ducktail or something <laughs> Which, by the way, if anyone's not watched DuckTales, just get on that shit if you can. It is worthwhile. It is, yes. I will say I'm very impressed with that show so far in its reboot. So, 
I actually like it better than, than the original DuckTales. I um, mean, the original I has seen as a kid, though. So but here's the thing, like the original has its, you know, it has its nostalgia and it has its fan base. This is just taking it up the next level and just making the characters a million times better. Yeah, I could I could agree with that. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, uh, Alex, you got anything else? Uh, no, that's that's about kind of what I've been up to. Are you sure you don't have anything else? Are you sure there's yes. nothing else you want to talk about? Alex? Are you yes, there's, positive? There's nothing else on our on our document on our outline that I want to talk about. Okay, I'm gonna I'm just gonna leave the audience hanging and not know what we're referring. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, right there you like to that. Make your own guesses. At that make your own, make your own guess as to what what we added to Alex's list. <laughs> Joe, I think we're actually really cruel people to always like paint this picture of Alex. Because he's actually a really honest, cool guy. And we just like make him like the weirdest kind of like closet basement case person. <laughs> That's what makes it so much fun, though. Oh, I know. <laughs> All righty. Moving on. Uh, so I'm a big Jackie Chan fan. I've, I've, I've watched, I haven't watched all of his movies, but I've seen quite a few of his movies, ranging from his early Chinese stuff to some of his, his, his newer stuff and some of the stuff from the 90s. But uh, I, I caught up on one of his American movies recently that I, I missed in its theatrical release. I was really excited for that it is The Foreigner from 2017. Uh, according to IMDb, a humble businessman with a buried past seeks justice when his daughter is killed in an act of terrorism. A cat and mouse conflict ensues with a government official whose past may hold clues to the killer's identities. I went into this excited for Jackie Chan doing a new dark and gritty look, more grounded, more emotional, more acting. For years, Jackie Chan has been talking about how he wants to be known as an actor who can do stunts, not a stuntman who can do acting. And he's been frustrated by the fact that he's been shoehorned into being the action comedy guy. So he was excited to do The Foreigner because it gave him a chance to show the breadth of his acting abilities. And the movie markets it as Jackie Chan's movie, but it's really Pierce Brosnan's movie. And a lot of the movie is people having conspiracy conversations and political backstabbing conversations in offices and in house bedrooms. And so, so what you're saying is Jackie Chan kind of gets shadowed. He gets kind of cornered again. Well, there's two movies at odds here. One movie is about Jackie Chan as this father. He hunts down Pierce Brosnan to find out the names of the people involved in the bombing. So it's a revenge story. And Jackie Chan is great in this movie. And he's kind of terrifying, actually. He's more of an anti-hero than anything, doing some really scary shit. I mean, I kind of actually remember when I saw the trailer, it kind of harkened back to, like, old boy for me. Like, just a lot of just the way he's carrying himself. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 I can could, I could, I could see that. But then the movie sidelines him for a good chunk of the movie to focus on Pierce Brosnan and Pierce Brosnan trying to find out which members were involved with the bombing and his uh, domestic dispute with his wife, which is also involved in all the political intrigue. And it's not as nearly as interesting as the Jackie Chan stuff. Jackie Chan really is just kind of taken out of his own movie for a good chunk of the film. And the, the, the two plots kind of go parallel but you could cut jackie chan out of the movie entirely and make this whole movie about pierce brosnan because mm -hmm. jackie chan when he does come in he's kind of ancillary to the plot and he's not necessary like he felt like it felt like he was written into a movie that he wasn't originally a part of and that really bummed me out yeah i kind of like when i saw the trailer i had that kind of feeling it was going to go into that as well it felt like there's two different storylines at play and i didn't see it 
but I was kind of hoping like they would focus a lot more on Jackie Chan. Like for the trailers, they're trying to promote Pierce Brosnan just to draw in the American audiences. But it feels like you're right, Joe. It's like they kind of sidelined him, focused more on Pierce Brosnan. And I don't know. I mean, that might have been just something they had to negotiate and they had to go with if they're going to get funding for this from the American studios. So who knows? Yeah. I'm, actually know. kind of, I'm actually kind of curious to know if like there is a cut that exists out there. That's only Jackie Chan's, you know, scenes. You could and, cut together a version of just the Jackie Chan scenes. Well, including like deleted scenes as well. That might be that never made it into the movie. I don't know. We'll probably never know because no one's gonna remember this movie. You know. But you remembered it. I I won't remember it. I, I oh, watched okay. it last week. I won't remember this movie, which is a shame because uh, he's really good in it. So I would I I would not recommend the Foreigner. But if you're a Jackie Chan fan, maybe watch the Jackie Chan scenes. <laughs> he is really good in it. Next one I'm going to talk about is I'm going to attempt to watch through of the Marvel Cinematic Universe before Avengers Endgame comes out next month. Mm-hmm. So I rewatched Iron Man recently. Uh, hot take. It's a good movie. Yeah. It, it really kind of set everything, you know, in motion. It started the Marvel Universe as it is today and uh, destroyed Comic-Con what it is today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I okay. So every time I rewatch Iron Man, I notice something different, or I see it in a different light. So the last time I watched it, which was a few years back, I think when Civil War came out, mm-hmm. I was kind of taken aback by how risque it was compared to the rest of the movies because the, the first couple movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe weren't done by Disney; they were done by Paramount. And Robert Downey Jr., or uh, Tony Stark, I should say, although they're kind of the same person here, is much more of a womanizer than I realized. And the violence is a little bit grittier, not necessarily more graphic, but just kind of hits you a little bit more home. Like when Tony gets hit with shrapnel, it's not like there's a big explosion and, you know, his arm comes off or anything. No, he's just hit with shrapnel in the chest. And it's kind of, you almost feel it the way it's shot. And I don't feel like we get a lot of that in the current MCU movies. But this time, one of the things that hit me was how kind of grounded the movie was compared to the the later movies, especially when you look at Infinity War, which is such high stakes. Yeah, the and first you're dealing Iron with a Man, lot of characters as well. So Yeah, the first Iron Man uh, kickstarted the problem they had with villains, where the villain is just kind of the counter version of the hero. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Obadiah Stane, played by Jeff Bridges, doesn't want to take over the world or anything. He just wants to take over the company. <laughs> as simple as that. You know, in the in, in Infinity War, Iron Man's suit is made out of nanobots, and it, Tony can change it at will and make shields and pull things out of thin air, basically. In this first one, he has trouble getting out of the suit. Like, like the suit is welded onto him, and he needs a robot to help him get it off. And the movie is just kind of more more low stakes, more grounded... But it's kind of a, a smaller story. In fact, in fact, a lot of the stuff is kind of hush hushed by the the government in the, uh, within the context of the story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I I appreciated it. I, I I'm I'm fine with the big scale, big stake stuff in the later movies. But mm-hmm. I I've forgotten just kind of how small comparatively the stakes mm-hmm. were in the first movie. Well, I think uh, from what I remember when I saw that movie is I think John Favreau realized the only way that we're going to get people on board with this MCU is if we make us endured to Tony Stark. Because, you know, obviously he starts off as an asshole, and then you realize he's an asshole that does have some good in him. And John Favreau has always been good at that in building character-based stories. And I really feel like he gave Robert Downey Jr. a lot of creative license to build the character as he did. I mean, there's some great Tony Stark moments in there where he 
you know, the cheeseburger scene. I think that's still a Hallmark scene. Yeah, I agree. And even in the first three movies, Tony's character arc over the course of the first half of the MCU is really kind of the heart of these movies. So I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Iron Man isn't near the top of my, my, my list of ranking the movies, but it's, it's, it's a good movie. I, I enjoyed it. We do know which one is your favorite Iron Man movie, though. Oh, Iron Man 3. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The best I, I will defend Iron Man 3 to the day I die. I love that movie so yeah. much. Same here. <laughs> Actually, same here. And the last movie I'm going to talk about real quickly is Captain Marvel, the new MCU movie in between the Avengers, uh, Infinity War, Avengers Endgame. Uh, it's fine. I enjoyed it. Anyway, yep. on to our main. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We don't, we're not going to give it any attention that Tony Stark got. My gosh. Oh, my gosh. I mean, guys, I, I, I'm really kind of frustrated at how much controversy has been around Captain Marvel. Because I watched the movie. I'm just like, it's a, it's a fine movie. It's, it's, it's run-of-the-mill MCU. I mean, it's not at the top of my list. I mean, it ended up being closer to the bottom than the top for me. But that's... I mean, I, I don't dislike any of the MCU movies. So, you know, putting it in the lower half, I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's 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 general good uh, MCU movie. It's one of the ones I don't love in particularly, but there's a, it's a fine little movie. I don't dislike it. Yeah, I mean, one thing I actually want to ask you, Joe, because I haven't had a chance to see Captain Marvel yet, but I've, I've heard similar mixed reviews about it, how people are kind of comparing it a lot to just what Marvel's already produced and it's saying it's it's not up to par as far as like story or stakes, uh, would you say that's the problem with this movie or? Well, okay. So, so, so here's part of my problem with it is okay. that I checked out during any scenes where they're talking about intergalactic politics and, <laughs> Oh, Ronan's involved this way. Oh, the Kree empire is involved this way. And my eyes just kind of glazed over whenever any holographic displays popped up with exposition. I'm just like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Once once we pass the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, I I really I'm done with all these high stakes intergalactic political stuff. But the stuff that I liked a lot involved Captain Marvel uh, interacting with Nick Fury, and in those scenes, it almost becomes kind of a buddy movie. Yeah, that's actually what I've heard is that this is a good buddy movie. And I have to say, were you impressed with the way they did young Samuel Jackson? Like in this movie? Oh, absolutely. I, I, if, if you hadn't told me that there was CGI enhancement to make him younger, I would not have known. Yeah, it feels like this is kind of like really stepping up the game as far as like what they can do now with the technology. It's it's kind of almost alarming. Like he, I just from the trailers, I from what I saw, it looks like we went back to the '90s. This is young Samuel Jackson again. This, this is... movie is absolutely the epitome of de aging technology working at its best. One of the highlights for me, though, in this movie, really was Ben Mendelsohn, who was 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 great as kind of the the main villain, Cree leader, lizard guy. Uh, he is just playing this most Ben Mendelsohn esque role, and it's great. <laughs> I feel like you just give him any role. He's going to have fun with it. Um, yeah, he's so good. It just reminds me of like Ready Player One. His character in that, he just had a lot of fun. And I actually had a chance to see him at WonderCon when they were doing, you know, a press release for that. And he's just a blast to watch on stage. Like he's goofing off with the cast. He's cracking jokes here and there. He, he just has a good time when he's on screen. One of my favorite scenes in the movie actually involves him where there's a conversation between him and Captain Marvel and they're outside of a farmhouse kind of in, I think it's in twilight. So like, you know, the sun's going down, it's in golden hour. And the way it's shot isn't in the glossy, glamorous way that you see a lot of these cleanly shot 
MCU movies, the way it's shot is more like an like an indie movie, and it's just a conversation between her and this lizard man. And it's great because it, it, it gives the actors a chance to focus all of their effort into into the acting and or should i say the movie puts the focus on the acting of the uh the actors during this conversation scene and it's it's amazing what he can pull off through that 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 lizard makeup without coming off as being corny and Brie larson is playing off of him without you know any any hint of of oh this is silly it just works really really well and then all of a sudden, you know, you know, you know, the movie has to dive back into. All oh, right, now we're back on spaceships with lasers, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's that's fun. But I miss these smaller, kind of more grounded moments in these movies. Well, actually, one thing I actually want to uh, point out is that the the crew or the guys behind the actual writing of this movie um, did movies like, you know, Half Nelson. I don't know if you remember that it was like a indie project that had Ryan Gosling in it, um, I Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. So they were both the writers and the directors of this, but their background is in indie filmmaking. That makes so, sense. Yeah. So I can see why they were able to bring a lot of that to this movie. But you're right. Like I kind of heard it was like a mixed ball. They have these intimate moments, and then it goes back to big Marvel stakes and CGI. And Yeah. Uh, Captain Marvel as a character, uh, jury is out on, on, on her for me right now. I didn't feel like there was enough for me to really judge her character in this movie. I felt like they, they, they tried to, to do the, the kind of charming asshole sort of thing that uh, Robert Downey Jr. did with Tony Stark, what we did with Star-Lord. Uh, but there was more focus on the asshole and less focus on the charming part of the charming asshole uh, stereotype. Hmm. And I think I think a lot of that maybe because of her backstory, the way it's told you is through flashbacks and the whole movie is focused on her trying to figure out about her past. Mm -hmm. And by the time we get there to the end, there isn't really a whole lot to go off of because we don't feel like we know her all that well, even though we know a lot about her. And I, I, I think in future movies, seeing how she plays off against the other Avengers, how because because that, that was a big thing with a lot of the Avengers before the Avengers movie, the first Avengers movie came out, was they got to shine when we got to see them all interact with each other in that first Avengers movie. I think that's going to be the same thing with her, where we'll we'll really get to understand her character by by seeing where she stands in that group dynamic. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what I think of her in future installments. Okay. Uh, but would you say probably one of the best actors in this movie is the cat? All right. You know what? It's it's a cat. <laughs> Come on. It's a, a cool cat. It's a, it's a cat. I'm not a cat guy. It's a cat. It's it, it's a fine. It's a cat. But Samuel Jackson loves a cat. If Samuel Jackson approves, then everyone else should approve, right? I'm, I'm glad people love the cat. Cat was def certainly a crowd pleaser in my showing. Uh, the cat's cute. It's a cat. The wrong person would be asking you this. Probably. <laughs> Anyway, let's jump into our main discussion, which is B-movie shot on an A-movie level. Welcome to France. What happened here? Some questions don't have good answers. There's a lot of soldiers out there, and there's only four of us. Find out what's inside that compound. So this topic came about for me because I was just looking at a lot of movies that came out last year in particular, 2018. And I noticed that there were a lot of movies that I would describe as kind of being more pulpy B-movies, but they're given bigger budgets. They're given more mainstream releases. They aren't just stuck to 
the cult crowd. They aren't just being churned out, you know, into into VOD. They're not being put into a couple of theaters, finding a little cult audience. Mm-hmm. Now, these are these are movies being put out in wide releases, hitting the top ten in the box office. But they seem to me big mainstream directors trying to make movies with uh, B movie roots. Now, what does it mean to have to be a B movie in in, in particular? I, I I read a quote by Joe Bob Briggs who says that you can tell if you're watching an A movie or a B movie depending on if they kill the dog. If they kill off the dog, it's definitely a B movie, and I think. That's kind of valid. And now some of these movies that I'm talking about, uh, j- just recently, last year, we got The Predator, we got Upgrade, The Meg, mm-hmm. Mandy, and Overlord. I would put those all in the category of movies that I think would do something like they would they would kill the dog. Uh, some of them have kind of schlocky, dark endings. Some of them play into the genre elements more with whether it be monsters and, and horror and big monster mashes. I, I would I would categorize the Predator as a monster mash movie, basically. Just, where it's, it's the equivalent of a filmmaker bashing together two uh, action figures and just having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Overlord is a Nazi zombie movie, <laughs> <laughs> and Up- Upgrade is kind of the schlocky sci-fi horror action film with a lot of the focus on this really graphic violence with touches of humor in in there. The Meg is a giant shark movie. Stabbing sharks <laughs> in the fucking face. <laughs> Basically, all the stuff that just you know warms Joe's heart. I can see definitely why you, you chose this, but no, I agree. I kind of was noticing that too, and I, I to honestly tell you, Joe, I I can't really pinpoint why we're having a resurgence of this. But one thing that was occurring to me, and this was something I was kind of just noticing about when I was watching Doom Patrol. I think sometimes this content, like movies or TV shows that are really pushing for like the B movie level of entertainment are just very self-aware of what they are doing. They're not trying to mask it. They're not trying to code it in any kind of form or another. They're giving you what they're advertising. Like in The Meg, it's a giant shark movie. They're going to have fun with that. Uh, Same with the Predator movie. It's another Predator movie. They're going to have fun with that. Same thing with like Doom Patrol. It's I mean, Brendan Fraser's in a giant robot suit. And <laughs> half of the time, he's being wheeled around on a gurney by this guy in a mummy outfit. It's like, it's very self aware of that. And I think filmmakers who just are acknowledging who their audience is and are, are pointing out these obvious traits are just having fun with it. And I think it comes back to this whole idea that. Movies are just meant to be entertainment. You're supposed to have fun. It's escapism. I mean, we're, we obviously want to always try to go for like, you know, excellent tier acting and all that. But I think you also have to have a level of fun. And I think there's a lot of filmmakers out there who just want to have fun again at movies. You know, these projects that they're, you know, obviously they're given a budget for and Hollywood saying, make this movie. They just like, you know, we want this to be something that I will revisit time and time again. And so I think they're just really pushing for that nowadays. Well, here, well, here's my question then, because the, 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 these kind of movies, uh, uh, you could take that mindset and apply mm-hmm. that to two different kinds of movies. One is the movies we, we've been talking about, like Upgrade and Overlord. Mm-hmm. But there's another kind of movie where you can say, well, th- well, these movies aren't taking themselves seriously either, and they're being very self-aware. I'm talking about the very tongue-in-cheek movies like Sharknado and Iron mm-hmm. Sky. So right. what, separates, what separates Overlord from Sharknado? 
Oh, that is a loaded question. <laughs> um, One thing I've noticed about them is that, so for instance, Overlord is very self-aware about what kind of movie it is. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it never has the need to wink at the audience and tell them, oh, no, look, we're in on the joke. Uh, something like Iron Sky, for instance, mm -hmm. feels like it's saying, oh, we're Nazis on the moon movie. But don't worry. We know this is silly. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Look how silly this is. Whereas Overlord, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's almost like it's apologizing for saying, hey, look, we know this is goofy, so uh, we're sorry, but just enjoy it. Whereas Overlord, it's it's just it's it does never feels the need to apologize for itself. It's saying no, yeah, we're a silly Nazi zombie movie, and we're going all in on that. Yes, we know it's it's campy, but just sit back and have fun with it. It's it's almost like they're taking a an over the top script and shooting it seriously and taking it seriously. Where but but they know what the audience is there for. Yeah, I mean honestly, this kind of harkens back to. Really, I hate that I'm wedging this movie in here, but the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I, I want to kind of, I'm going to illustrate a point with this. Um, but something that James Gunn kind of introduced in that movie is something I feel like is what a lot of filmmakers are doing nowadays. And I think this applies to Overlord as well. In the first, you know, scene of Guardians of the Galaxy, it's not Peter Quill, you know, stealing, you know, the orb from this temple and, you know, dancing to, you know, Come and Get Your Love by Redbone. It's him as a kid watching his mother die, you know, to cancer and him having to deal with that grief. I think kind of applying this to Overlord, it starts off with the soldiers invading France and them, you know, going through that whole ordeal of nearly being shot out of the sky. And I think for something like that, the filmmakers are trying to set you in the mindset and to the heart of what the movie is and the character we're following. So that way, when we kind of start throwing all this ridiculousness out, you know, the window, like, you know, he, he, he stumbles across a, a bunker where Germans are breeding zombies or even in, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a band of misfits all from different parts of the galaxy trying to stop this Infinity Stone. And it's so far-fetched, but they all start with that central core of there's emotion tied to these characters. And I think that is something I'm noticing a lot in these B-Ray movies. They're adding that element. So... I don't know. Maybe that's something that is separating them from something like Sharknado. Sharknado, it knows what it is. It doesn't care what it is. Whereas with something like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy with Overlord, they're not apologizing for putting heart in the movie. They just know they're doing that intentionally and are going to drag you through this whole movie, despite what th is thrown at you. Yeah, I think they know how to have fun with the genre elements and they know exactly why the audience is in the theater they're they're there to watch you know you know an upgrade they're there to see a man being controlled by an ai kick ass yeah and 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 cut people's heads in half with kitchen knives <laughs> exactly but you're still kind of put in his uh, shoes you're still put in his perspective of it's a revenge story because they killed his wife well well exactly they they they, they it it doesn't ever wink at the audience mm -hmm. but it knows what the audience wants and mm -hmm. so it's there to have fun but it's there to try to tell a story still mm -hmm. whereas something like uh uh iron sky I, I would i would argue is closer to uh those parody movies like scary movie yeah whereas it's not trying to tell a story it's trying to tell a joke whereas mm -hmm. upgrade the predator the meg for better or worse they're trying to tell a story mm -hmm. while having fun with yeah. these elements that these filmmakers clearly love to indulge in. Predators that exploit weakness, tracks its prey, like a game, seems to enjoy it. 
That's not a predator, that's a sports hunter. Well, we took a vote. Predator's cooler, right? Yeah. Fuck yeah. So, Alex, here's my question yeah. for you. Okay. Uh, do you think that stories like this, these 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 kind of self-indulgent uh, genre flicks, do you think that they are any worse than something that's trying to be taken very seriously from the get-go? What is, I mean, uh, I'll go to the extreme example, something like a Terrence Malick movie or something <laughs> like uh, uh, one of those one of those art house movies that you like, like 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 a, like a Nicholas <laughs> Winding Refn movie. <laughs> it, it, be, be, because because they're 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 indulging in kind of the baser areas of genre. Do you think that makes them any less worthwhile than something that's trying to tell a seriously good story and be a thoughtful movie? Yeah. No, I, I don't think they're any less any less valuable than, you know, something that kind of goes ultra super serious and very artsy. And mm-hmm. It's just playing into the kind of other side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you do have like, you know, Terrence Malick and Swiley Griffin movies where they're very, like I said, very serious, very artsy. Very stylized. Um, exactly, yeah. Well, I wouldn't throw stuff stylized in there so much because you do have, you know, kind of the Pulp Beer B movies that can be really stylized as well. Mm-hmm. But, well, stylized maybe their own, like, specific way. Mm-hmm. And that's that's on one side of the spectrum. On the other, you do have movies, you know, that are you know, kind of like what we've been talking about. But I don't, you know, like I said, I, I don't think that makes them any less valuable or any less important just because they're playing into you know different genres, different tropes, and whatnot. So yeah, yeah. I, I've always argued that one of the things that's important for a movie is how well it does what it's trying to do. So for instance, yeah. something like The Meg is trying to go in there and and just be an entertaining time. It's trying to tell a straightforward story. It's trying to hit all the right beats. It's not trying to be something thoughtful and i think if it, if it if it's executed well enough in that regard i think that movie succeeds now uh whether or not the meg succeeds is is based completely on your taste of movies but i i, I go to a terrence malick movie to get something interesting something thoughtful something insightful uh mm-hmm. i go to a terrence malick something like the thin red line to maybe learn something about myself that i didn't know before by how i react to that movie I go to see something like Overlord to sit back and be entertained. If Overlord hasn't entertained me by the end of that movie, it has failed yeah. in, its, in its regard. Now, here's a good question for you, Joe. Like, there have been movies that definitely have fun, but then it just becomes way too much. A, a good example is like a lot of Michael Bay films nowadays, like the Transformers movies. They just put mm-hmm. so much stuff in it, but you find yourself just getting so detached and just so done with it when you know you see the hundredth robot exploding and crashing into a building you're just you're taken out of it and it's because i don't think there's any heart in it there's no character it's just we're throwing whatever we can to distract you well here's the thing about my about michael michael bay for one thing a lot of these movies that we've been talking about are really short like like we're talking like an hour and a half michael bay makes movies that are two hours plus long Yeah. yeah it's like you don't need that much explosions michael bay Tone it down a bit. And uh, just speaking about for, for me personally, I can't connect to anything in specifically the Transformers movies. Even even the robot designs are so complicated and boring to look at that it's it's hard for me to sit back and really enjoy the action scenes. 
in those movies. Now, this is me personally, and I, I, I know a lot of people really get a kick out of those movies, but when you look at how long those movies are, how much I dislike the characters, and how boring the action is to me personally, mm-hmm. I would much rather sit down and watch a weird little uh, genre movie that's just an hour and a half long. It takes a different premise and goes out with a bunch of violence, creature effects, crazy characters, a little bit of, of tastelessness, and just like, all right, here we go. It, it, I like something new, something interesting, something different, something entertaining and short. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with I mean, with like like with Transformers, it's just it's just way overdrawn. It, it doesn't it doesn't give enough substance to really back up all the explosions and all the CG and all the stuff that they have going on. And those can be entertaining if it was cut down to something much shorter. That's mm-hmm. what that's what movies that's what the movies like Overlord and stuff like that have mm-hmm. is just. They're more short, sweet, to the point. They're direct. You just get to where you're going mm-hmm. without having all this stuff happen. And you have to keep <laughs> up with it. Yeah. Although I will actually have to give, I'm going to kind of shine a, a good light on Michael Bay just for once in his career. Honestly, I think probably his only crowning achievement, and this is me, I'm, I'm lowering myself to a very interesting tier right now, but uh, I really feel like Armageddon was kind of one of those movies, Joe, that really kind of fits in this idea of like a B-rated movie that was shot at a A movie level. Because let's face it, what it was about was oil drillers who get sent up to space to destroy this asteroid that's going to wipe out humanity by putting a bomb in it. It's very far-fetched, but it was like the one film I remember where it kind of fits a lot of this kind of criteria where they were able to find the heart of it. They were able to find something that made you endure throughout the movie. And let's face it. Um, it's the ending that everybody still talks about today. So, yeah, I, I, and, and, and I don't, I don't necessarily want to shit on Michael Bay uh, either. I mean, there well, are movies of his, there are movies of his that I like. I, I love bad boys too. Mm-hmm. Although I kind of hate myself for loving bad boys too. Everyone has a guilty <laughs> pleasure, man. But we could, we could totally have, have a complete, like a, a complete director spotlight episode right. just on him. I think I think it'll be fascinating because oh, yeah. because he he is kind of on the fringe of this conversation where he makes these very self indulgent movies. Uh, just for him, I think they're a little bit too self indulgent. Well, I, I feel like he he does have his uh, gems out there, but it's gone to a point now where he's just so excessive with it. Like even Transformers, the first one, if it wasn't for Spielberg saying put a story in this movie. It's, it just would have kind of completely, yeah, just been what it is today now, which is just robots crashing into buildings, and that's it. Yeah, and and um, part of the reason that I love some of these other movies that we've been talking about is that I love excess, but I love excess when it's focused and in small doses. Yes. It's Megalodon. He's kidding, right? things out there. You need to find it and kill it. Why don't you just put a tracker on it? Did you guys ever watch Shark Week? So we've talked about how this is this has been kind of a trend, especially last year. So I I, I mentioned the Predator upgrade, the Meg, Overlord. Uh, I would put Mandy in this discussion. These movies all came out last year, but I, I think it's it's been kind of growing. I would put Chappie, for instance, in this kind of a similar category. I, was, I actually say that as well, like just any Neil Bokemp films in general, like Elysium, uh, even District 9. 
Yeah, and uh, uh, the second half of A Cure for Wellness, no matter what you think of that movie, Nate, that, that, uh, that, that movie goes into some weird territory that is pure genre right it, there. It's just German horror gore. It's... <laughs> But I, I mean, I mean, I've been noticing this. This is as kind of a growing trend among more mainstream uh, uh, movies with with big name directors behind them. But, but why have we always had these, or are we just getting some of them now? If we're getting more of them now, why is this a growing trend? My guess is that it's connected to the nostalgia factor, yes. something that 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 a lot of these directors grew up with and they love. They watch some of these schlocky movies in the '80s and the '90s. And they want to bring back some of that sense of fun that they felt with those original movies into their current output. Market. Yeah, yeah, and the, the current yeah. market that we have today, just because, yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, there was an interesting point that happened in the end of the 90s into the early 200s, where, you know, movies started kind of like getting very serious and asking like very meta questions. And... Honestly, I kind of felt like everybody wanted to bring back, you know, the fun in movies. Like, you know, let's let's go to the movies and, and enjoy ourselves again. And you know what? I'm actually going to put someone on the spot here. I think the person who actually kind of started this whole trend again was Peter Jackson. I mean, if you look at his body of work, way dating way back when he was first starting, he's a very B-rated movie director. Like a lot of his style, his humor is just, it kind of fits that category. And if you look at the Lord of the Rings, like if you take out the whole epic and the scaleness of it, it's there. And more recently, it's been much more noticeable in a lot of his later works, like, you know, King Kong, the Hobbit movies. He's kind of always kept it and he's always been a huge advocate of that kind of style. And I don't know, I think, in a way, he's allowed or he's given directors now that permission to show it is possible to bring this back. And I don't know. I kind of feel like a lot of directors are now falling suit to that because they see it's a huge market now. And you're right. I think it's also a nostalgia factor, Joe. I'm not going to discredit that. Well, yeah. And and I absolutely agree about Peter Jackson. I, I think he's always injected some of that B-movie sensibility into his, his current stuff, especially into the Hobbit movies, which I think turn a lot of people off to it. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of cartoony action sequences in the Hobbit films mm -hmm. that I kind of loved. In the extended edition of the Battle of the Five Armies, there's a whole chariot sequence where they're cutting orcs in half. Like, like this sequence got the movie an R rating. The extended edition <laughs> of Battle of Five Armies is rated R, which blows my mind. But it's just a chariot with blades on the wheels just tearing apart orcs, and it's so schlocky. I, it's it's I, that kind of goofiness that I enjoy. I keep forgetting there's like an extended cut of those movies. Uh, <laughs> I just gotta go for the extended cut on those. Oh, it, I mean, just, I, it just adds more, more of the crazy Peter Jackson trying to do Dead Alive stuff into The Hobbit. It's yeah. insane. Honestly, that's kind of something I was kind of noticing as well is, um, you know, Joe, kind of to harken back to another filmmaker of yours, one of your favorites, uh, Sam Raimi. You know, he's another director who, when he was given the Spider-Man project, he kind of brought his sensibility, his humor, and his just love for just schlocky writing and just putting it into a superhero movie. But it works, and I don't think he apologizes for how he did all three of those movies. And I think they're just much more entertaining as a result of it, despite, you know, what fans say or how much they shit on those movies. Um, I still enjoy them. Well, I think I think I think that we we've, we've seen a trend of the early to mid two thousands, especially 
of directors who got their start in those kind of genre movies and took what they learned and what they loved about those movies and brought them into clearly A movies. So, I mean, for instance, the, the Spider-Man movies, I would not call those quote unquote B movies on an A movie level. I think that right. those are straight up A movies, but you can see the glimpses mm -hmm. of the Evil Dead Sam Raimi in there, especially yeah. the hospital scene in Spider-Man 2 <laughs> and snap zooms that he does. All of his fun quirky individual sensibilities he brings to those to those movies and i think that now we're seeing the, the natural evolution of that where some of these filmmakers are realizing oh no not only can i bring these these fun schlocky elements to a grade movies i can make these fun schlocky movies with an a grade movie budget one filmmaker i think who's been trying to do something like that for years only he shoots everything on super low budgets typically is robert rodriguez Oh, yeah. Who, who I think, yeah. uh, for better or worse, again, throughout all the, the, the crap that he's churned out, he's been making what he likes. And he's been making a lot of these really goofy movies that just really speak to him uh, <laughs> through and through. Uh, especially if you look at Grindhouse. Oh, that yeah. movie is, is a love letter to the kind of movies that I think I feel like filmmakers are trying to recapture now today. <laughs> And then if you look at Alita, that's basically his version of making, uh, you know, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings or Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. It's his yeah. big budget A movie for mainstream audiences, but pulling in all the weird little genre stuff that he loves into it. I, th I think it all comes back to focus, Joe. I mean, you yeah. can definitely shoot, uh, you know, go to town and get really silly and goofy with it. But if there's no focus to it, you're going to lose the audience completely. Michael Bay. <laughs> I, I think I think if there's I think if there's, if there's anything that we've learned from from these types of movies today, is that you can make schlocky, fun horror movies with creative ideas. You can make a Nazi zombie movie. You can make a giant shark movie. You can make mm -hmm. a space aliens shooting up soldiers movie. You can make these kind of silly, outlandish things that people typically dismiss just outright. If you put a lot of effort into it, you keep it stripped down. You keep it simple and you shoot it in in creative, fun ways. Because a lot of these filmmakers, I think, grew up with these sorts of movies that were shot with no budget and were, were silly and kind of fun. But at the same time, you know, I'm thinking about like like way bottom of the barrel, like Yor, the hunter from the future, oh, uh, which it looks like garbage. But they thought, well, what if you take Yor, the hunter from the future and you make it look really good and you put some good actors into it and you give it some realistic effects and you up the amount of creative action sequences. I think you can get something that's just a rousing, rip-roaring, good time at the, at the theaters. And if it can deliver that, I think it's successful. Yeah. yeah. And I think it also needs to hit the right audience as well. You know, I want to actually bring up a movie, Joe. Ready Player One is mm -hmm. kind of an example. Like a great thing about that movie that everyone seems to like is how much um, nostalgia and how many like you know, cameos are in that movie and just how much fun the characters and the story has with itself. Whereas like, I know I read the book and I prefer the book, obviously, as well as some people. But like, I remember hearing fans like hating that movie so much because it's like, it didn't take it seriously. It, it wasn't true to the story. And it's like, at the same time, just go and enjoy it for what it is. That's an outcry to the audience. You kind of have to go in and dismiss all that. You have to really immerse yourself with what the film is doing and just be along for the ride. Otherwise, I think that's the reason why, you know, you get people like on Rotten Tomatoes who just criticize everything that's not a Terrence Malick film or Barry Jenkins film. 
Yeah, so. you gotta you gotta enjoy it for what what it is, not what you want it to be. And talking about all this though, I know that some people are gonna be yelling at 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 me. But Joe, some of those movies are garbage. The Predator is a garbage movie. Yes, I know I'm in the minority of people who enjoy that movie. I'm not talking necessarily about whether or not these movies are any good. Uh, to varying degrees, I, I tend to enjoy most of the movies that we, we've talked about here. A lot of them have a lot of problems. A, a, a lot of them are just, yeah, not great movies in general. But it, it, I'm not talking about necessarily are these movies any good. I'm talking about are we seeing a trend of B-movies shot on an A-movie level in mm -hmm. Hollywood? And I think we absolutely are. And yeah. Whether or not these in particular movies are any good, I think the trend is is a good thing for storytelling. I think I think it opens up the the possibility for new filmmakers coming in mm -hmm. to realize that they don't have to stick to a formula that they've seen time and again. They can get creative. They can go a little bizarro. Yeah. And I'm afraid that some of these movies are being shot down just because of kind of the sillier elements and being dismissed. Uh, in some cases, there is a lot of shoddy storytelling. There, there, there is a. I know some. I know a lot of people are turned off by a lot of the tasteless elements in the Predator. Also, uh, that movie does does not handle some issues very delicately at all. <laughs> it's, it's it's a big dumb hammer of a movie. But um, I hope that future filmmakers take away from some of these movies that it's okay to make something creative and strange and weird and small as long as you put a lot of talent and and effort into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, a good example is kind of like what I'm kind of noticing, Joe, and you talked about this a while ago, are the Chucky movies, like the, the ones that are still directed by uh, Mancini. Mancini. So, you know, like we're kind of seeing those movies are still, you know, being true to who they are. They're not going to compromise. Obviously, they're still given like a really good budget and shot very well, but it's still going to keep to what, they're really good at and they're just having fun with it and they're not trying to take it seriously unlike the new reboot chucky that's coming out which i don't know uh i i i i, I I'm, I'm totally ready to to dismiss that movie but that trailer looked pretty good <laughs> i mean i i just kind of have a feeling okay they haven't shown the doll's face at all in the trailer and that's just a bad sign right there it's it's kind of like you know what they kind of did with it you know it's like yeah the clown's terrifying, but it's not going to beat Tim Curry's Pennywise. Whereas, like with this, it's like it's not going to replace the Bradorif, you know, Chucky. It's it's just not. And I don't know because there's this like resurgence, this huge trend of like bringing this kind of style of filmmaking back. Do you feel like there's going to be a downside when they start like trying to reboot franchises again to cater to that audience? Do you think there's a limit to how far they can go with certain franchises? Well, uh, the the first two things that pop into my head are one, they're already doing that anyway. I mean, right. we got we got a fucking RoboCop remake. <laughs> oh, Nobody asked for that, but I, I would totally be down for that if I mean if they start rebooting stuff like Chopping Mall. Hell yeah, I'll be I'd be there for a Chopping Mall remake. <laughs> uh, give us give us give us a Maniac Cop remake. I'll, I'll I'll watch that. I mean, we're kind of getting some of that now. They they, they remade Maniac and. I, 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 I'm not anti-remake. I'm, I'm fine with seeing remakes and reboots, uh, just, just depending on what angle you, you take with it. I guess what I'm seeing some of these remakes of like these lesser-known movies, like a You're the Hunter from the Future remake, yes, I am there. Okay, so you heard that, Hollywood. We want a Your remake right now. Right now. Put put a, a Robert Rodriguez on that. <laughs> so who would you have cast as Your then? 
uh, the same guy who was in the original one. <laughs> <laughs> just basically mocap his face and make him younger again. You know, we have the technology now. Uh, Red Brown, that's right. Red, Red Brown was in that one. We're, we're going to be getting reboots and remakes all the time anyway. Uh, the only positive, I mean, I can only see this trend as being a positive because it would mean we get reboots and remakes of weirder, smaller movies as opposed to the bigger, more well-known movies. Mm-hmm. That's true. Anyway, that's more or less all I've got to talk on it. Uh, Alex or Nate, do you guys have anything else you want to say about it? I no? think I was talking your ear off a bit. So <laughs> Alex, uh... No, I don't have anything else to add. Okay. Alex only watches good movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I only watched the I only watched Nicholas Finding reference. So. Exactly. You know, that's that's the best right there. You can't go any higher than Neon Demon. So it's just only God forgives is on repeat my apartment <laughs> all the time. <laughs> just basically it's just playing in the background. You go in and you're seeing like a guy getting stabbed with chopsticks. <laughs> just Ryan Gosling on screen, that's all I want. Every every night, uh Alex prays prays to 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 his his god, Nicholas Winding Refn. <laughs> And he says, please give me another Ryan Gosling pick. I want to see another one. <laughs> All right, so I think I think we had a, a, a very triggering discussion for uh, a lot of film aficionados out there on mm-hmm. B movies and I really, I really do hope they're paying attention because I want them to kind of like rip a hole into this. I I, I can't wait to see if we get any reaction to this. I, I can't wait to see the trash talking we're gonna get for this. Uh, rightfully so though. We 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 deserve whatever shit gets piled up on on top of us. All the and time. we're not gonna apologize as well. You know, we, well, we, why, why would I? I have a terrible taste in movies. Why would I apologize? <laughs> Anyway, that'll that'll close us off for this episode of the Film Illiterates podcast. Uh, Nate, where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me on here on Film Illiterates. I do these podcasts with Joe, as always. Um, but you can also find me on Instagram at Nathan underscore Stone underscore Films. Alex? Uh, you can find me here. Apparently, Nate doesn't do podcasts with me because he didn't mention me. So I, I, I do podcasts just with Joe. Okay. Um, well, I, I when I say Joe, I mean we're a collective Joe. We're a bunch of Joes. Chaos reigns. <laughs> Other than that, you can find me on um, you can find me on Radio Music under Half Scrim H A L F S C R I M. You can find me, of course. I'm here. Um, you can go through our backlog of old film lyrics episodes on YouTube. Uh, a lot of fun stuff in there. Um, other than that, that's about all you can find me. If you want to follow my Twitter, I don't use it, but Joe keeps making jokes about me mentioning it, so I'm gonna keep mentioning it. There we uh, go. Keep it. Keep it going. Keep it going. Yep. yep. Uh, it's at Alex D. Patton. And you can find me. I run the Film Illiterates accounts on Facebook and on Twitter. And you find my movie diary at film at letterbox.com. You can search for film literates there. You can find all our all our past episodes and videos on filmilliterates.com. Have we decided what we're gonna do for the next episode yet? I don't remember. Um, I think we were thinking about doing another director spotlight on Edgar Wright. Was that correct? That is right. You 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 are you're right. Oh, so yeah. so next yeah. time next time we uh, we come back to the film literates podcast, we'll be doing a director spotlight. Edgar Wright, which will mm. be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it as well. There's a lot of stuff I want to actually talk about in, as far as like 
Scott Pilgrim, actually. I just was yes. kind of thinking about watching the fat film again, and it got me excited. So Awesome. It'll be great. So in, in the meantime, keep watching movies and keep it easy.